Is this? There we go. As always, it is an honor and privilege to preach the Word of God this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, we come humbly before your throne. Lord, these words that we just heard from our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ are not easy words. We cannot do it on our own, so I pray that you give us your mercy and grace. I pray that you give us the power of your Spirit to change our hearts to be more like Christ. I pray that we will trust in you and your word. And so, Father, through your spirit, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to obey. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. July 4th, 1776, these words were penned to paper. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuits of happiness. These are the words that have built our nation, have shaped our country and our lives and our philosophy. Since then, we have been a society that has been so concerned with rights. All throughout our history, we have different movements of civil rights, women's rights, children's rights, workers' rights, prisoners' rights. The list just keeps going on and on and on and on. We celebrate and make heroes out of those who stand up for the rights of others and themselves. While there's a lot of good that came from that, I do want to say this, that if we look closely, when we hold on to our rights, ultimately, we're insisting on our own self-interest, our own self-seeking, our own self-protecting. We want to cling so tightly to what we think belongs to. To us. And so when someone tries to intrude on our own rights, what do we do? We want to take revenge. We want to retaliate. And usually, retaliation comes with interest. This past week, last Sunday, we had a perfect example of this. How many of you knew that the Oscars were happening last Sunday before you woke up on Monday morning? I wake up Monday morning, I pull out my phone, and on my phone it gives me some articles that are recommended for me, and one of the first articles I see was Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. If you haven't seen this yet, Chris Rock, a comedian who's hosting the Oscars, told a joke about Will Smith's wife and was intruding on Will Smith's rights, so to say. What did Will Smith do? Got up went on stage, and slapped Chris Rock. 
Retaliation always comes with interest. Was Chris Rock's joke, does that demand a slap to the face? Probably not. But this is what Jesus is getting at today. Is he's going to be talking about retaliation and revenge. And so when we desire to protect and promote ourselves and our rights, vengeance takes the main stage and not justice. Retaliation and unjust punishment then becomes the norm. And so our big idea, our theme today that I believe that Jesus is getting at then is disciples of Christ must be willingly die to self for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of others. Let me say that again. Disciples of Christ must die to self for the sake of the gospel and welfare of others. Now I know this is some hard truth because I've been sitting with this for the last week. I ended my sermon last week about the heaviness of holiness. And we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking at Jesus' teachings, and what Jesus is doing as we've been continuing to come back to chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, where he says, your righteousness must surpass those of the scribes and Pharisees, otherwise you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. And so we, Jesus has been looking at showing us how unrighteous we truly are so that we can realize we need a Savior. And in doing so, he is using the holy law, the law given to Moses and the people of Israel. And as we've been going through this, at least for myself, I've been feeling the heaviness of holiness. And so I don't come this morning thinking I have it all together because I sure don't. I barely could stand under the heaviness of God's holiness this morning. It's only because of the grace of God and His mercy that I can preach this message. Many times this week I felt like Jonah just wanting to run away and asking God, is this really what you want me to preach this morning? And so know that He is doing a work in my life. He is, this is a message that I need to continue to hear and I believe that we need to hear today as well. So with that, would you join me in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. If you don't have your Bibles, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Um, please use that. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. It says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's pause real quick because this, we need to give some context of what's going on. You have heard it that it was said. This is a familiar phrase that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going into that. But we see a direct quote, direct quote from Jesus quoting the Old Testament, several places in the Old Testament, in fact, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We see this in Exodus chapter 24, or 21, verse 24. Leviticus 24, verse 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. While we could spend pretty much our whole time just looking at these 
verses in light of Matthew 5.28. I don't want to spend too much time, but it is important for us this morning to start unpacking the context of the Old Testament so that we can understand what Jesus is talking about. Like he's always done up to this point, whether it's with hatred, whether it's with lust, whether it's with a divorce, or telling the truth, he's taking some sort of Old Testament law and showing how the Pharisees and scribes have been using that law to try to justify their unrighteousness. And he's going to do the same thing this morning. So the context here in Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, Deuteronomy 19, 21, tells about this code, this law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is a good law. This law was made to protect those who are righteous. It's supposed to bring justice to those who are righteous. And if you break the law, it's supposed to bring punishment. This is a good law. And in the context of the Old Testament, in each of the verses that I listed, this law is always to be carried out in a civil judicial system. It's never to be done on a personal matter. Let me give you an example real quick to illustrate this. If I was to borrow my neighbor's lawnmower, and I take that lawnmower and I run into a tree with it, I accidentally cut the cord to start the lawnmower, I bent all the blades so it doesn't even cut anymore and just digs holes into your lawn, and I return this lawnmower to him, broken, that deserves some sort of punishment. I should be repaying for the damage I caused on his lawnmower. What the Old Testament is saying and what Jesus is saying is that it's not the job of my neighbor to, to give the punishment or to tell me how much I should repay, but we should be going to the judge and it is a civil judicial system that demands what I need to be paying. And this is what the context of this passage is. Keep that in mind. This law also does a couple of things. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses 19 speaks to this. And gives reason why this is an important good law. It says, thus, you shall purge evil from among you. The rest will hear and be afraid, and you will never again do such an evil thing among you. This is talking about this law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's supposed to restrain evil. It does another thing as well. It's to prevent excessive punishment. So if I borrow my neighbor's lawnmower and I destroy it, it's not his responsibility to give me what I need to be repaying, because otherwise, like we've said already, retaliation always comes with interest. So if it was up to him, I would have to pay for a new lawnmower and then cut his lawn for the rest of my life. And so you see, this law prevents evil, purges evil, and prevents the excess of punishment upon someone. Once again, this is always done in a civil judicial system. So now let's go back to 
our text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Pharisees and scribes, can you guess how they st- can start twisting these words to justify their own behaviors? Instead of taking this to a judicial system, they took matters into their own hands. Instead of using this law to restrain evil and bring justice, they used this law to bring out their own vengeance. They destroyed and distorted and twisted God's holy law to justify their wicked, sinful actions. What does God or what does Jesus say about this? Join with me in verse 39. But I tell you, once again, this is a familiar phase that we've talked about already, but this is declaring that Jesus has authority. He has authority because he was the one who gave this law all the way back to Moses because he is God. So he has the authority to speak on this law. And he says, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. I think this is where things start to get complicated and difficult for us today. So often this verse has been used in many different ways to promote different ideologies and philosophies. This verse has been used along with several others that we'll read this morning to promote different agendas. And so that's one of the difficulties with this text is is to untangle all of these ideas that we may have about this text and actually understand what is Jesus communicating. And then the other difficulty is actually how we ought to be living this out. So Jesus says, but I tell you love, or I'm sorry, but I tell you don't resist an evildoer. So what is Jesus saying? Just be a doormat to everyone? Just allow people to come in, take whatever they want? Is that what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus saying just allow people to slap you and punch you and beat you up, be a human punching bag? I don't think so because we see both James and Peter, right, that we should resist the devil. So if we take these, literally what Jesus is saying, it should, the devil comes around and you see him and says, hey devil, uh, I see you're around again. I'm, Jesus said I shouldn't resist you, so can you just kind of do your thing quickly? Try not to leave a big mess like you did last time. And just go on your way. I don't think that's what Jesus is communicating. Well, I think what Jesus is communicating, Paul picks up in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 19. Hear these words. Never pay back evil for evil. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. As a disciple of Christ, we must not seek retaliation or vengeance to the one who has harmed us. By doing so, it focuses on our self-seeking, self-interest, self-protecting. When our rights are first, our righteousness suffers. When our rights are first, our righteousness suffers. When we desire to promote and protect ourselves and our rights, Vengeance takes the main stage and not justice. 
retaliation and unjust punishment then become the norm. So brothers and sisters, as disciples of Christ, we must die to self for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of others. I know there's probably a reaction in you because there was in me a reaction that may want to shout and ask God, God, are you really saying what you're saying? Do you know how much this person has humiliated and hurt me? Do you know how much money this person has taken from me? Can I just get a little bit of revenge? Can I just retaliate just a little? Hear the words of our Savior once again. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. These words are impossible to try to live on our own accord. For we need the power of the Spirit because this is so counter-cultural. This is not our nature. Our sinful nature wants to promote ourselves, wants to protect our rights. This goes against everything that we want. So we must, first and foremost, I pray that we trust in the Word of God. We trust in these words. Secondly, we seek the Holy Spirit to help us live out these teachings of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful he just doesn't end this section with that verse, but he gives four illustrations. These illustrations go right at the heart of several rights that we think we have. I did not come up with this. I'm borrowing this from John MacArthur's commentary on Matthew. And he lists that these four illustrations talk about dignity, security, liberty, and property. Dignity, security, liberty, and property. So let's slowly go through some of these illustrations that Jesus has used and draw some application for us today. Join again with me, continuing in verse 39, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Familiar passage. This is proclaimed and said not just on the lips of our Savior, but we see this quite a bit in our culture. We hear this phrase in our music, in movies, in books, and just in our culture in general. Turn the other cheek. But what is Jesus communicating? Well, if we go back to the original audience, being slapped was one of the most degrading things that could happen to you. Even a slave would rather get beaten than slapped. And even if you just watched the clip of Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, it was awkward. You could feel. It was kind of hard to watch at times. Being, seeing a grown man being slapped. So what Jesus is saying is, are we willing to give up the right for our dignity? Now, I don't know about you, but typically I don't go around getting slapped too often. 
but how often do people insult us? How often do people humiliate us in front of our peers and coworkers? Has anyone called you names? Just in the last year, I just remember as I studied this memory has come to my mind when someone, a superior, called me a child in front of my peers. Oh, it took a lot not to retaliate. My dignity was at stake there. I was humiliated. How often are we, people make us feel like we're nothing. And yet Jesus says, turn the other cheek. I pray that we'll respond like Jesus. That we will not retaliate would show love. Matthew, at the end of his gospel, writes this. Jesus is on trial, and he writes this. Then they spat in his face. This is Jesus. They spat in his face and beat him with their fist, and others slapped him. The same word slapped here is used in our text this morning in Matthew chapter 5. Could Jesus retaliate? He sure could. He could send a legion of angels to come to his aid. He could just snap a finger. He could just send words and just annihilate these soldiers who were beating him up, spitting on him, slapping him. But this isn't what Jesus responded with. Do you see that this means that we must die to self? We must forsake our right for our dignity, for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of others. When we are insulted, when we are humiliated, we must be reminded that the God of the universe came into flesh and was humiliated by His creation, in front of His creation, for the sake of redeeming and saving us. We must remember this is what Jesus has done for us. He was humiliated on the cross for our sakes. And by doing so, in faith in Christ, we now know that we are no longer, our dignity is no longer in what other people say, but who Christ says. We know that we have a future hope that we will be with our Lord, Savior, in glory. That we are children of God. Not what comes from the mouth of our neighbors and peers and others. May we be reminded that our dignity is in who God says we are, that we are made in the image of God, male and female, that we are His children, that we are holy and blameless, that because of Christ we are made righteous. And one day we will be in glory with Him forever and ever. This world is just temporary. 
It's going to pass away. The words that are uttered about us today will be gone. So may we be reminded of our Savior and the future that we have with Him forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, I know that this is much easier said than done. I know when someone calls us names or puts us down or humiliates us, we desire to retaliate. We desire to call out their faults. And this is not just with our enemies, but even maybe in our marriages. How often maybe your spouse insults you. And so what do you do? You just don't give us insult back, but insults, plural. And you try to go back even 10 years to bring up a situation to defend your dignity and to, you know how to cut right to the heart where it hurts your spouse. But what Jesus is saying here is that we must, as disciples of Christ, we must die to self for the sake of the gospel and welfare of others. Brothers and sisters, I know this is hard truth. It's only done with the power of the Spirit. We keep going. Example number two that Jesus gives is on security. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 40. As for the one who wants to, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Put some context around this. So if you're being sued and this is, they may have a legitimate case against you and you don't have money to pay what is required, you would often give then your clothing. And so typically you had two pieces of clothing, your shirt and your coat, essentially. Your shirt was the inner part and your coat is what you wore on top of it to keep you warm at night and it protected you, it gave you security. And so what Jesus is saying is, if someone sues you, not just give them your shirt, but also give them everything you have, your coat as well, your security. Again, this demands that we must die to self for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of others. So what does this look like today? If someone brings a case, a legitimate case against you, we must not just repay back what we should, but we should go above and beyond showing our sorrowfulness, showing that we don't carry any grudges against them. This is so countercultural. We're to go above and beyond to show the love of Christ. This means that we must die to self for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of others. So when we do this, people don't know how to respond. People don't know how to respond to this kind of generosity and love. 
And it's there that we are able to then bring in the gospel to further the gospel, to further the kingdom of God. Example number three, our liberty. Jesus says this, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Again, this is another phrase that we use in our culture. Go the extra mile. Comes from this passage. What is Jesus saying here? Well, again, we need some context. A Roman soldier could go up to anyone, any civilian, and say, hey, I need you to carry my weapons and equipment for the next mile. Now, if you're a Jew, who you were under Roman rule, so you view these soldiers as your enemy, now they're coming to force you to carry the weapons of your enemy that's out to enslave you, and do whatever they say and go with them the extra mile. What Jesus is saying is, and go the extra mile. Be joyful, or not joyful, but willingly go the extra mile. What does this may look like today? Well, let me just kind of give a little bit of a silly example. Imagine you're coming home from work. Maybe you're on 53, and you see sirens behind you, so you pull over. Like, oh, I don't think I was speeding. I had my seatbelt in. I wasn't texting. Sheriff comes, knocks on your window. Sheriff says, excuse me, sir, oh, ma'am, um, I don't really feel like driving anymore, and I have an important meeting in Springfield, so I need you to drive me to Springfield. Springfield is about three hours from here. Googled it last night, according to Google. What Jesus is saying is, don't just drive him down to Springfield, Drive down to Springfield, wait for them, and drive them back. Okay, I know that's a silly example, but how about a more realistic example? Imagine Saturday, you wake up, you have the whole day to yourself, so you plan a wonderful day. Maybe it's going on a walk in Busty Woods and then getting lunch with some friends. And then later that night, going seeing a, seeing a movie and dinner with your family. You got it all planned out. It's a nice, lovely day. And then as you're about to leave the door to go on your walk, you see your phone rings. It's a neighbor. Neighbor calls and says, Hey, can you come over and help? I got a bunch of leaves and sticks in my yard that needs picking up. My back... It's pretty sore. I can't really bend over anymore. See some little bit of laughter. Sorry. <laughs> and so our response could be, hmm, I got a whole day planned. So I'm just, maybe next week. Or maybe I'll find someone else to do that. Another response, okay, maybe I could spare an hour or so, go over and pick up maybe the front yard of leaves and sticks. But I think what Jesus is saying, no, is you go over, you pick up the leaves and sticks, 
and not just fix up the leaves and sticks, but maybe it's helping set up the chairs on the front porch. Maybe it's pulling the weeds to get the flower bed ready for the nice spring flowers to come. It's going above and beyond. Even though our liberty was at stake, we desired to spend this lovely Saturday with our friends and our family and enjoying time for ourselves. Are we willing to die to self and give up the right of our liberties for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of others? I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't just go the mile, but he went the extra mile. Otherwise, if he just went the mile, we would be in great trouble. So brothers and sisters, the disciple of Christ must die to self for the sake of the gospel and welfare of others. Fourth example. And the final example, Jesus uses basic rights of our property. How often do we want to cling on to our property, hold on to what is ours so tightly, yet this is what Jesus says in verse 42, And give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from one who wants to borrow from you. Now, while I don't think Jesus is saying that we ought to give to every beggar that we see, but I think he, what he's communicating is if someone has a legitimate need, give to them. Help them. So often, what is our typical response? I'll pray for you, hoping that someone else will provide. What Jesus is saying, if we are going to love and demonstrate this love to our neighbors and our friends in this world, we must be generous and willingly giving up our possessions, knowing that ultimately they are not our possessions, but they belong to the Lord. So if someone comes and says, hey, can I borrow your car? Willingly let them borrow your car. Someone says, hey, I need a place to stay. Willingly give a place to stay. Make a room for them. And again, I know this is easier said than done. But if we are going to live this out, we must die to self for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of of others. So my question this morning, are you dead yet? Have you died to self? Do you see, and I hope that we see that in all of these situations, how the gospel just keeps coming forth? In all of these situations, whether we turn the other cheek, whether we give more than we are required to, whether we go the extra mile, whether we give generously of people wanting to borrow things from us, all of these situations have opportunities to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus lived this out perfectly. So much so that he was willing to die on a cross for you and for me so that we can have eternal life with him forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, I know that this is not easy teaching. But we must be willing to die to self. We must be willing to give up our rights for the sake of the gospel so that we can declare the gospel. And as we proclaim the gospel, may we be reminded that this isn't our home. We're just sojourners passing through, but we are anticipating a heavenly home where there will be no more vengeance or retaliation, where there will be no more looking out for number one or injustice. I can't wait for that. But in the meantime, as disciples of Christ, we must die to self for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of others. Now, if you're here this morning, you've never heard a message like this, and you keep hearing this word gospel, and what would cause someone to live so radically, it is because of the gospel. And this is what the gospel is. That God created us. He created male and female in His image. There's perfect relationship. But man, humanity, decided we want to be like God, and so we disobeyed God, bringing sin, evilness, wickedness into this world. And God, as we see in Scripture, is a just God. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. And because we have disobeyed, we are no longer holy or just or righteous. And so a division then comes. We can no longer have relationship with our Creator because we have been tainted with sin. And so the question that the Gospel then answers is how can a just God justify sinners? Through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus being truly God and truly man, being truly God, He was able to uphold the law perfectly without sin. Being truly man, He was able to represent the human race before the Father, become the perfect sacrifice. And so Jesus willingly went to the cross. And yes, He endured humiliation before His creation, but He also took on the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us. And so it's through the death, but Jesus didn't just stay dead. He rose again so that we too will rise just as Christ rose again from the dead. And we then can have hope and eternal life and glory. This is the wonderful news of the gospel. This is the only thing that saves. And so are we willingly giving up our rights and dying to ourself for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of others. Brothers and sisters, I know this is not an easy 
teaching. This is what Jesus has called us to as disciples of Christ. So are we willing to die to self for the sake of the gospel and the welfare of others? Let us pray. Father, this is only made possible by the work of your Holy Spirit. Our sinful heart desires to seek our own rights, to stand up for our own rights. So, Father, give us your spirit. Give us a clean heart that desires your thing, what you desire, so that we may show love to this world, so that we may proclaim the gospel to this world, so that we can see sinners be reconciled to you, and that we can rejoice with you forever and ever. Father, help us. I pray that you just give us mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.